This semester, um, we are looking at one of the most famous sermons in the Bible, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And um, it's, as we mentioned last week, probably one of the most read, most commonly known, if, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, some of the things mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you may have heard of um, the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven, um, judge not lest you be judged. And tonight, we're coming to one of the more famous sections of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. Um, In the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing, and we mentioned this last week, is he's laying out what a life of flourishing looks like in him. Last week, we looked at a passage right before this where Jesus announces his kingdom is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. Uh, repent because his kingdom is at hand and he's, he's inaugurating a new kingdom. And this sermon is essentially about what it looks like to live as someone who's found their life in Jesus. And so that, that's what we're gonna look at this semester is, is what does it look like to flourish? What does it look like to grow in Jesus? And um, people have been gathering around, we're told in these passages, we'll read in just a second, Uh, They're curious about Jesus. Some of them have been healed by Jesus. And they're gathering to hear his teaching about what life is going to look like in his kingdom. And he begins the sermon, not necessarily talking about what life is going to look like and what to do in his kingdom, but who the people are in his kingdom and what they look like. What does it look like to be someone who trusts Jesus? And the word he uses over and over again in this passage is blessed. Uh, Blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, And an important point, and I say that because I think oftentimes we can read this, and maybe you've grown up thinking this, the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes is just a fancy way of saying blessed are. Um, This is not listing or telling us how to be blessed. What we're going to look at tonight is not like Jesus's eight best ways to be blessed. What it is, is it's a picture of what it is to be blessed. It's a picture of what it looks like to be known and to know the one who gives blessing. And so um, these all go together too. Uh, they all fit together, and you'll see they kind of build on each other. Uh, th- this Over the past year, we've been watching the Star Wars uh, movies with our kids. We've, I think we've only watched three. Um, but it, when we started telling people, because I did not grow up uh, into Star Wars, uh, and you know, I'm more into it now, but when, you, uh, when I told mo- my more opinionated uh, Star Wars friends that we were showing them to our kids, when you begin that conversation, what I've learned is that people have opinions on where to start. Um, we started with A New Hope. We didn't start with episode one. Uh, but if I told you, you Star Wars aficionados out there, I'm going to start with episode one. I would probably be met with opinions um, because or the order matters to people. And, and we're going to find the same thing in the Beatitudes. The order of these matter. Um, It's hard to be merciful to others when you don't understand that you need mercy. Uh, It's hard to mourn your sin when you don't recognize your sin. And so these build on each other. They're cohesive. Uh, It's not a la carte. They they, they all together describe what it means to be known by Jesus. 
Uh, but we are going to divide them because after the fourth beatitude, there's kind of a change. The, the first four really characterize what it looks, kind of our relationship to God and how we view ourselves. And the next four look, examine and kind of characterize how we view other people. And so we're going to look at two things tonight. We're going to look at the way the kingdom changes the way we view ourselves and relate to God. And we're going to look at how the kingdom changes the way we relate to others. So let me read Matthew 5 for us real quick. On your handout, it goes through 1, one through 6. There should be more verses up there. There are. Um, and so I'm going to read Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that you've given it to us in love. And we pray uh, that tonight, uh, Lord, that you would uh, plant your truth on our hearts, that you would mold us and make us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Um, hashtag blessed. Uh, the trend is kind of dying out now, but uh, for a few years there, it was going strong. Actually, it still is going strong because I looked it up on Instagram today and um, there's over 24 million posts about hashtag blessed and whatever timetable uh, Instagram was giving me. So very popular. Um, and as I looked it up, it's, it's, I don't really ever search hashtags very often, but uh, I did today. And um, maybe you've posted with a hashtag blessed, maybe ironically, maybe you're doing it seriously. But when, I've, when I looked up the photos that accompany hashtag blessed, uh, there was, there was co- kind of common themes. Um, there's like a lot of bathing suit pictures by the beach. That was, uh, uh, there's a lot of pictures of people standing by cars, uh, like really nice, expensive cars. Um, a lot of people standing on, on like bridges with like a skyline in the background. Um, and then like, then there was like the engagement photo or like the family, uh, the family photo on the beach. Uh, hashtag blessed, you know, basically. So like rich, famous, you've got a, body in a bathing suit that you want to, you know, show hashtag blessed, uh, or, you know, you're just like the family person. Like I've got a great family. My kids are obedient and I'm engaged and I'm hashtag blessed. Um, this passage, what we're about to look at is Jesus's idea of blessing. Uh, because the reality is, e- even if we kind of laugh at, uh, how blessing and blessed is portrayed in our culture, we bring tonight 
notions of blessing. Uh, so even if we do kind of chuckle at those things, uh, we still kind of long for those things. And even if we, you know, maybe in our more intellectual or maybe we're more theologically minded, know like, oh, that's not true blessing. True blessing is not having nice things. And yet at the same time, sometimes those are the blessings that we find ourselves praying for. But when Jesus announces in the previous passage that he's bringing a kingdom, and then he begins describing that kingdom, talking about blessings, it's natural for us, it would be natural for his hearers to think, okay, if, if he's bringing a kingdom, when we think of kingdoms, we think of power, we think of influence. Immediately we bring our own notions of what blessings should look like in a kingdom. And so even if we scoff at Instagram, we still in our mind think, well, you know, to be blessed is to be powerful. You know, blessed are the successful. Blessed are uh, the social. Blessed are the influencers. Uh, that's typically the way we think of blessing. And Jesus turns all of that on its head. Because look at the very first verse when he begins the Beatitudes in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right away, Jesus is telling us something very different about his kingdom. His kingdom is not a kingdom where blessing is found or determined by how successful or good or impressive you are. Right away, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That, that, that literally means like when you spiritually feel like a failure, when you feel spiritually, morally bankrupt, Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. When you feel so unworthy to be shown any favor by God, it's at that point that you actually begin to understand the nature of this kingdom. It's not a kingdom you or I enter into because we are so impressive or because we have such impressive faith or because we're so well-respected immediately we are told it's going to be nothing. None of those things determine our entry into the kingdom. It's only going to be by his grace if the people in it are blessed as they are poor in spirit. There's a hymn written by a guy named Augustus Toplady. Uh, it's famous, called Rock of Ages. And he says this, he says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's a picture of what it means to be poor in spirit, recognizing you have nothing. I have nothing to offer God. When I see his righteousness, when I see his holiness, when I see his goodness, I'm confronted with the fact that he is good and I'm not. Nothing in my hands I bring. Jesus says those who recognize that are blessed. And the kingdom that they think they have no business being in is theirs. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then you begin to see this progression happening as the Beatitudes go on. Because then he says, blessed are those who mourn. So, so it's not just those who recognize they're poor in spirit, recognize that they're spiritually bankrupt, but it's those who mourn the fact that they have nothing to offer God. 
Do you know what it is to mourn? To mourn the sin of the world? To mourn the sin of your family, the brokenness of your family? Do you know what it is to mourn and to grieve your own sin? One pastor said this. He said, the saddest thing in life is not a sorrowing heart, but a heart that is incapable of grief over sin, for it is without grace. Do you see what he's saying there? He's like, the saddest thing in the world is not when we are sad or when we are despairing. The saddest thing, the most truly sad thing is a heart that cannot grieve its own sin. Do you recognize your bankruptcy? Do you recognize your poverty? Do you recognize your weakness? And are you okay mourning that? And I hope this is like a slight corrective uh, to our Christian culture, which values emotional highs uh, and extroverts. Um, Because Jesus here is saying, not that you're blessed if you're just sad, but you're blessed when you recognize your sin and you mourn over it. One of the greatest pictures of this is that there's no better illustration than an illustration found in the Bible where Jesus describes two men praying. It's in Luke 18. One is a Pharisee. He knows the law. He's righteous. People respect him. The other is a tax collector. He's hated. People hated tax collectors. I mean, if you think of the most corrupt businessmen and women in America, maybe you don't know them. They're not celebrities, thankfully. But those who cheat people out of money, that's the tax collector. And the Pharisee began his prayer saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thank you that I'm not like this tax collector over here. And then it pans to the tax collector's prayer. And he's so ashamed that he can't even look up to heaven. And the only words he can get out are, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see the picture Jesus is beginning to paint of what it looks like to follow and to trust him and to know him and to be known by him. Those who know Jesus will know their sin. They will mourn their sin. And as you go on, it says, blessed are the meek. The more you get to know your sin, the more you mourn your sin, it actually creates in you a sense of meekness. Meek is like not really a word we use very often. I've actually never heard it being used on campus. I've never heard it say like, wow, it's a very meek thing to do, or that person's very meek. Um, it's, it's not super commonly used, but, but essentially what it means is, is you have an accurate estimate of yourself. Someone who's meek is, is often, I think we often associate them with like just acting like a doormat. Like basically people can make fun of them, they won't say anything. Um, and that can be true, but, but, but a meek person is not powerless. A meek person is someone who does not insist upon getting privilege. A meek person is someone who doesn't insist upon getting special access. Someone who's meek is okay um, when they're not the ones in control or they're insulted and they don't have to respond. It does not mean that you do not stand up for yourself. It doesn't mean that you take abuse and don't speak up. But what it does mean is that you don't have to insist upon special privileges. It is a true view of oneself. And and one of the best ways you can find out if you're growing in meekness is how you respond to criticism. You know, it's really interesting. 
we can say things in our mind about ourselves and, and some of us are more prone to say worse things about ourselves than others. Like if you fail a test, what I found is that, you know, having lunch and coffee with you all, sometimes I know, I know some of you are extremely hard on yourselves. You idiot. How could you do such a thing? You know what's a little bit harder to hear? Is someone else saying that. It's amazing what we will tolerate ourselves saying, but we will not tolerate what other people say. How do you respond when you are criticized? Being meek doesn't mean you can't be successful, but when you do have success and you do have power, you use it for good. And so you see this flow. Jesus is describing life in his kingdom. He's describing a life of flourishing. And what he's saying is it looks different than what our world projects. Our world projects that true blessedness, true happiness is found out there. And Jesus is saying it actually begins by looking inward at your heart. Who are you? And whose are you? Who are you? And whose are you? Because when you begin to examine that, what you see is that you are poor in spirit. And we need to grieve that. And as we grieve it, it makes us meek and humble. And it makes us hunger and thirst for real and actual righteousness when we see that we are not righteous. And so my question to you is, are you tired of falling short? Are you tired of feeling like you're not enough? Are you tired of pretending that you have it together more than you actually do? Then Jesus says, this kingdom is actually yours. Are you mourning? Do you feel sad? Do you feel sad when you watch the news? Do you feel sad when you have to go back home? Do you feel sad when you have a quiet moment and you think about what you've been thinking about all day or what you've done all day? Do you mourn your own sin? Then Jesus stands ready to comfort you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Do you know what it is to be overlooked, not be paid attention to, not given the right credit? Then Jesus says, the earth is yours. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you long for things to be made right? Do you long for shalom and peace in this world? Then Jesus says, the kingdom is ready to meet you and to satisfy you. This kingdom transforms the way we see ourselves. And then secondly, what I do want to do just real quick is just look at how it transforms the way we treat other people. But because as I mentioned in the beginning, because the kingdom of God is, is at its very core a kingdom of grace, it's, it's founded on the verse, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because the nature of it is grace, it will transform the way we relate to other people. There's a yard sign I've seen around Lexington this summer, uh, and, it, and sometimes it's a bumper sticker. It essentially says, just be kind. Just be kind. Like, as if it's like, oh, well, duh, of course. I should have just been kind the whole time. This would have been so much easier if we would just be kind. And, and Jesus actually longs for us to be kind. And Jesus longs for us to be merciful to other people. But what is also clear in Scripture is that we will never be able to be kind 
to others or merciful to others unless we have received mercy. Only when we've received mercy can we give mercy. And so so Jesus is saying his kingdom will make us a merciful people. It will make us those who long to be pure in heart. Those who are sick and tired of their own hypocrisy. To be pure in heart is to be singular in your heart. Not not double-minded, not two-faced, not one person at home, one person at school, one person with my friends. To flee from hypocrisy. They will be those who long to seek peace. Not, not just peace like the absence of conflict, but also that they'll long to be, the, they'll be those who long to see flourishing in this world. But Jesus also makes clear that this life, as we relate to others, will be hard. So he says at the end, blessed are those who are persecuted on behalf of my name. Blessed are you when others revile you and say all sorts of evil against you. For so they did the prophets before you. And so what you have in this picture of the Christian life is these first four verses. I love how Frederick Bruner is an author and he put it this way. The first four verses kind of paint this picture of a man on his knees crying out for help. And then the next few verses actually paint a picture of someone being filled and someone actually hungering and thirsting for righteousness and being satisfied and then, and then dispensing mercy and, and dispensing peace and shalom. But then at the very end is a picture of someone who is then bent down again because of persecution or being made fun of. And, and so what you see in here is a picture of what it can look like to follow Jesus. He's going to show you your dependence. And as we say every week in RUF, he's also going to show you that you are never too good that you do not need God's grace. He's going to show you your dependence. He's going to show you how he satisfies your need. But we never grow out of the Beatitudes. Jesus doesn't say here, you know, hey, after you've been poor in spirit, um, then eventually you can be pure in heart. The character, all of these will always be characteristics of the Christian. You'll never get to a point in the Christian life where you don't need Jesus, where you're not poor, and when he is not rich. The moment you've graduated out of that, you've graduated out of the gospel. You will always need Jesus. You will see growth, but you'll never grow so much that you won't need God's grace. And what I hope you and I see this semester is that ultimately what we see in the Beatitudes is a picture of Jesus. Jesus exemplifies all of these. The only one he is not is poor in spirit. But Jesus weeps over the sin of this world. Jesus hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He gives mercy. He is the prince of peace. And he was spit upon and mocked and killed so that you and I can have life. And so here is my hope this semester. My my hope is that what you will see in the Sermon on the Mount is not only a description of a life that leads to actual and real flourishing, but you will also find in the Sermon on the Mount 
that Jesus is more beautiful and he's more believable. And to find your life in him is to actually live. You know, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Lord of the Rings. In the Lord of the Rings, basically, to summarize the theme is this. All these people want the ring. And yet everyone who gets the ring, their life is ruined. And it's only when they give up the ring that they can actually live. And, and that's what Jesus is saying the way life actually is. We spend so much time in our lives trying to amass wealth, amass happiness, trying to build our own kingdoms. And Jesus is saying actually true flourishing and true happiness, the way the world truly works is when you find your life in him. Not when you neglect your own happiness, but when you actually find true blessing and true joy in him. And so the invitation is to come and be shaped by his kingdom. Come and have your heart molded and made more and more like Jesus. Come on Wednesday nights, join a small group. Pray, I I would encourage you this semester, if you're trying to read the Bible and you don't know what to read, just read through the Sermon on the Mount. Spend time in it. Because what you spend your time doing is ultimately what will shape you. What we spend our time thinking about and contemplating is ultimately shaping us. And so here's the, the invitation is to come and be shaped by the one who is king and who died for you and for me. Let me pray. Father, Lord, I know there are those in this room tonight, Lord, uh, who are experiencing uh, the pain of their own sin, their own poverty in different ways, Lord. And uh, some are turning to you with that. Lord, for those that are not, uh, I pray, uh, I pray this for all of us, Lord, that, that we would, when we see our own poverty, when we see our own sin, Lord, that we would not despair, but that we would run to the King who can satisfy, who can fill, who can comfort us in our mourning. So we pray that you would do just that. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.